friends, and welcome to the Happy Hour with Jamie Ivy podcast. I'm your host, Jamie, and I am so excited that you're listening today. Every week, I invite a girlfriend to join me on the show, and we chat about the big things in life, the little things in life, and everything in between. Guys, I just have to say before we get going that this past weekend was our very first Happy Hour Live event, and it was absolutely amazing. I literally could not stop smiling the entire night. Everything went perfect. I want to say thank you to everyone that came out. Some of you flew in from Washington and Idaho. Some of you drove in from Louisiana and Arkansas and some right here in Texas. And I just cannot say enough of how honored I was to be your host and to welcome you to my home, let my husband cook for you and let us put on our very first happy hour. We're already talking about planning more events, more happy hour events. So stay tuned for more info. And when we let you know about that, We're going to let you know when the next one is, and we're also going to let you know when we put in the audio for this event. So if you missed it, I am going to let you hear some of it. There's parts that we're just going to be reserved for what if you were here, Um, and then I'll let you hear most of it, and then I hope that you get to join me for the next one. So thank you, thank you, thank you. It was so much fun and so beautiful. Before we get going, I want to thank our sponsor for today's show, Prep Dish, and Prep Dish, they actually, Allison the Chef was actually at the live show, so that was super fun to have her there. But Prep Dish is a healthy subscription-based meal planning service, and so it takes some of the best things that us women are wanting to provide for our bodies and for our families bodies and that's healthy meals and it's also letting someone do the work for us of meal planning every week you're going to receive an email and in that email it's going to have a grocery list plus instructions for prepping your meals ahead of time so then you're going to spend about two to three hours prepping your meals on a Sunday afternoon or Monday morning whatever works for you and then you're going to have meals ready for the rest of the week guys it's the answer to the what is for dinner that happens every day around 4 30 at my house Allison the chef who creates all of these wonderful meals she's offering listeners of the happy hour a special rate of four dollars for the first month and so that is one dollar for a weekly meal plan you cannot beat that and you're gonna love it there's paleo and gluten-free options available visit prepdish.com slash happy hour to start today um, if you need a code use happy hour so prepdish.com is where you go and you're gonna love all that prep dish has to offer guys today you're listening to episode number 79 and today's guest is rachel garlinghouse she's a writer a speaker and adoptive mom We have a great conversation about how her health issues 10 years ago this month set the course for her domestic transracial open adoptions. And then we also talk about the greatness of honest toddlers. You're going to love that at the end. Before we get into my conversation with Rachel, I want to make sure you're subscribed to the show on iTunes. You may or may not have heard it yet, but we launched a shorter weekend episode of the Happy Hour to air every other week. The first one aired last Friday, and it was with my friend Jess Connolly. You're going to love it. But if you're not subscribed to the show, you're going to miss out the bonus episodes like this. So make sure that you're subscribed. It's super easy. Just go to jamieivy.com slash iTunes. It's going to take you straight there. Just click on the little purple button that says subscribe. And then every time a new show is released, it's just going to pop up on your phone. Um, And we're also over on Stitcher. If you're an Android user, you can head on over there. Okay, guys, here is my conversation with Rachel. How are you? Great. I'm doing really, really well. I'm very excited about today. Um, thanks, well, thanks for coming on the happy hour. Yeah, thank you so much. I've been listening to some of your podcasts and it's just been fantastic. Oh, so well, I'm glad. And we've been trying to do this for a while. That's okay, though. We have children and... <laughs> I think that's all, exact, sorry. all kinds of things. 
Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. And you just moved, didn't you? You just got a new house. I just moved. And so we're settling in and that just comes with a bunch of fun stuff and a bunch of difficult stuff. Like we just found out we have to go to a whole new air conditioning unit. So that's fun. You know, right. And you live in Texas. You can't live without air conditioning. Oh, our air is running on right now upstairs. And so downstairs, we haven't had air for about a week. Not a big deal. I mean, it's February, but it would be on if it wasn't broken. So there's that. Oh my goodness. Where do you live? (laughs) Um, I'm right outside of St. Louis. We're in Edwardsville, Illinois. Okay. Awesome. Yeah. I said yeah. one time on the show that I had never been to Illinois, um, which was a complete lie because I've been to Chicago. So oh. <laughs> I don't know why I thought Chicago was its own state, but I have been to Illinois. So there's that. Okay. Uh, good. Okay. Rachel, I, will you just start by telling everyone just a little bit about you and what you do and all that kind of fun stuff? Yeah, absolutely. Hi, everybody. My name's Rachel Garlinghouse. I have have um, three children by domestic infant open transracial adoption. That's I love I all of all of that is a mouthful. <laughs> I got to fit all that in. All definitely. of that. Yes. Yeah. Um, I've been married for 12 years to my husband. We've been together 17 years. Feels like a lifetime. Um, I taught um, at a university for eight years part time and I retired. My husband hates that word. I retired <laughs> to be um, to stay at home with my kids and to Right. So since I've retired, um, I'm busier than ever. I'm writing books and articles and um, doing awesome podcasts like this one and just, um, yeah, just kind of living what I've always wanted to do now. I love that. I love when people are saying that they're living exactly what they want to do. Isn't that a fun thing to be doing? Absolutely. I think like when you're in that place, it's, it's, that's a great example too, for your kids that you, you know, you're this happy person and that, that it just spreads to your children. You know, if you're not a happy mom and kind of pursuing what you want to do, then it trickles down through your whole family. So, okay. Speaking of kids, that was a mouthful. You said, let me see if I can get it right. (laughs) Infant, domestic, transracial, open adoption. Did I get them all? Yes, ma'am. That's it. All four. (laughs) I love it. That would categorize one of my adoptions as well. Um, and so tell them, I, I really liked this morning when I was reading the stuff that you had written to me about your story, I was just so, I, I I just told my husband just now before I came up here, he was asking who I was going to talk to. And I was like, no, I don't know her. We've never met, but she has a great story. And I think that I think stories change lives and I think stories inspire and I think stories encourage. And as I was reading your little bit of the snippet that you shared with me this morning, I was like, wow, this, you have a lot to say. You've had a lot happen to you in your 12 years of marriage and parenting journey, haven't you? Yeah, absolutely. We've had, (laughs) you know, when you get married and you think things are going to go a particular way and you have a plan for your life. I don't know about you. I'm a type A girl, so I have a plan. I have a plan and a spreadsheet is what I have as well. Right. I'm like, I have a plan and it's going to go according to plan and that's what's going to happen. And God's like, uh-huh. Okay. So a long time ago, Absolutely. Uh, like before you had, before you became a mom, you were very, very sick. Can you take us back to that and tell us about what happened? Yeah, absolutely. So, um, Steve and I had just gotten married and I decided to start grad school. So I was teaching, I was um, 22 years old and teaching college freshmen. I was barely older than them. And (laughs) I um, had started teaching and going to grad school to earn my master's degree. And that November, I got really sick. I came down with some virus. My body felt very bizarre, like I'd never felt before. And from that point forward for a year and a half, I just got progressively worse. I lost 40 pounds. Oh, my word. It was awful. Even though I was eating 
I would say well over 5,000 calories a day. Like I just couldn't eat or drink enough. I was really sick. So I went to the doctor probably 15 times, five different doctors. And I was like, there's something wrong with me. And they just said, you know, well, maybe it's, you know, chronic sinus infections or maybe it's this or that. And my doctor finally got so aggravated with me. He goes, I just think you have anorexia. And I said, that's what what he came down with. Yeah. Right. Uh And I said, uh, I don't think I'm coming to you and begging for help and, you know, making this, you know, this up. So he just really, you know, didn't know what to do. And so one day, um, I was at home and I lay down for a nap and my husband kept calling me, but I didn't pick up the phone. And so finally I managed to sort of wake up and see, I'd missed all these calls and I called him and I think he knew there was something wrong. I couldn't because catch Because of my the way breath. you were talking or because you'd been nap, was napping a normal thing for you or what? I mean, I nap from 10 in the morning till one on a Friday. So it was not normal. You know, it was just uh-huh. kind of, so he could hear my voice and he said, I want to call the ambulance and being the type A control freak I am. <laughs> I said, no, 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 we don't need to make a big stinking deal about this. Right. Um, so he goes, okay, I'm going to come home. And I said, okay, fine. And he got home and he took me to the hospital and lo and behold, um, I walked in and they said, girl, you should be dead. Like you are my body was in um, a state called diabetic ketoacidosis, which means your body essentially eats itself. It's now, had that, had that been happening for a long – can your body sustain doing that for a long time? Had that been happening to your body for a while or was that something that was just brought on by all the sickness? So I don't know how long I was in that state before I went to the hospital, but when you're in that state, you quickly become deathly ill. So I just, I just know that the doctor came into the room and his eyes were huge. And he said, you shouldn't be alive. Like you have, my numbers weren't even on any medical chart. They were so high. And he said, I don't know how you're alive. And I was like, okay, thanks for that. (laughs) (laughs) So they carted me to the ICU and it was, it was traumatizing. In fact, I'm going to cry, Jamie. Oh goodness. Um, it's been 10 years. Um, this next month. And so it's really cool that we get to talk this, you know, this, season, I guess, or this month, because it's just, it's very, very traumatic. It's hard to drive past that hospital. Um, but it turned out to be the, oddly enough, the thing that was the hardest for me turned out to be the best thing that ever happened. Um, and that's because without my diagnosis and without this disease, we wouldn't have our kids. Mm. So, yeah. So you're crying. That's what we do on the happy hour. We bring out the tears. I know I need to be happy. <laughs> <laughs> so you're in the hospital and I see you. How long were you in ICU? Um, I think about three days, but I'll be honest with you. I don't remember much from that or even the year and a half I was sick. It it, it really just wiped me out. Um, but I was in there for three days and then they moved me to um, regular floor and sent this lovely nurse down to talk to me about, you know, using needles and injecting insulin and counting carbohydrates. And girl, I wasn't even listening to her. I was like, I was so mad and so sick. And, um, she knew I wasn't listening. She was a very experienced nurse. And she said, let's talk about having kids. And And you're like, okay, right. Okay. I'll listen, I guess. Um, so we kind of set up in the hospital bed and I said, okay, well, you know, what about it? And she goes, well, diabetics, you know, you can have a healthy pregnancy, but there's a lot of complications. And in that moment, I thought about adoption. It popped into my head unsolicited, I guess. It just mm-hmm. kind of popped into my head and I never let go of it. Mm-hmm. It was like, I just, I, I was at my rock bottom in my 
life and I didn't know what was going to happen going forward, but I knew adoption was going to be part of that story. So was, did your husband feel the same way? I'm about a year later. <laughs> okay. I was going to ask. That, I mean, that's a lot of news to take in. One, you're sitting there with your wife who almost died. Um, right. Two, now they're telling you this information that is just even more to take in. Like, oh my gosh, I almost lost my wife. And now what we might not be able to biologically create children because it would be so hard on her body. This is a lot, you know? Right. Um, so what did that year journey look like for you? Because you said you never let go of it, but it took him about a year. Absolutely. So it was, you know, thinking a lot about it, reading anything I could get my hands on, talking to anyone who had built their family by adoption. And I think he saw after how sick I was and going through that first year that there was just no way I was going to voluntarily put my body through a pregnancy. Um, There just, it wasn't going to happen. It could be dangerous for the child as well. And you know, not to, I guess, you know, uh, diabetics can definitely have healthy pregnancies, but I was just not in a place where that was going to happen. And you me. had been so sick. I mean, you know, right. it's not like that you found out you were a diabetic really early into this. You almost died before you found out. So sure. I'm sure that tainted a lot of that decision as well. Absolutely. Well, and the fact that we also knew that we had a chance of passing on the disease to any biological children, it was a fairly slim t- chance. It was like three to 5%. But to me, that was pretty scary. Three to 5% is still significant. So So, we just, yeah. So tell me, even before we talk about adoption, because, you you know, three of my four kids came to our family through adoption. And so I love talking about adoption. And I have so many things I want to talk to you about, especially one of the books that you wrote. Um, But I first want to talk about just dealing with this this disease. Um, What was it like feeling? I know you did not feel like there was nothing wrong because you were sick for so long, but one day you didn't have a diagnosis and the next day you did. So we'll just take it from there. What did it feel like getting that diagnosis? Um, it was two things. It was relief because I knew I wasn't crazy at that point that, you know, there really was something wrong with me. Mm. Um, and, but it was also devastation. And, you know, the nurse who came in and talked to me when she had said, you know, you have to mourn the loss of your body failing you. And I was like, what? Like, what are you talking about? The psychological whatever. But she was right. You have to mourn the loss of your body failing you and knowing that you can do great things. You know, you can exercise and eat this organic vegetarian, you know, gluten free, whatever it is, diet, you know, and you can do all these things. But sometimes bad things happen. Autoimmune diseases happen to the healthiest individuals. And so it was a lot to take. It was a loss. It felt like as she told me someone had passed away. It really, you know, I mean, to this day, I get emotional about it and it was 10 years ago. Yeah. Because you feel like you lost a part of you that you never knew you were going to have to give up. Right. And just the fact that even to this day, it's like certain things we, we have to consider that maybe other people don't, you know, you know, because you live in Texas, it gets really hot. It gets hot here in the St. Louis area too. And that plummets my blood sugars when it's hot. So Mm -hmm. I could be out with my kids at a pool and all of a sudden my blood sugar is dropping to 50, which is 50 points below what it should be. Or, you know, there's just, there's so much more planning. Mm -hmm. There's so much more strategy. Airport security is a nightmare with me because I have medical devices strapped to my body. (laughs) Yeah. It's just, you know, it's just, it's a lot. It's a daily disease that slaps you in the face and says, you have a problem and I'm going to remind you of that. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I have a couple of girlfriends here. I have one that I know of in particular I'm thinking about that um, has diabetes as well. And she wears a pump. It's attached to her. Am I correct? Would that be what it would be? Yes. And Mm -hmm. then two other girlfriends that have um, different autoimmune diseases. And I, I don't know. Would you educate us and myself? I feel like that 
there's not a lot known about autoimmune diseases because it seems like it's this silent thing, you know, like when one of my girlfriends told me that she struggles with this, I didn't even know if that does that make sense what I'm saying? Yes, absolutely. I mean, I think that one, most of the time it's a silent disease. People don't notice I wear an insulin pump and I can continuous glucose monitor because they're under my shirt. So it's like, it's not known that I I'm, I guess, diabetic, although I do tell people when I'm around them because I want them to know in case there's a medical emergency. But it is very, um, I think some of the strongest people have autoimmune diseases. And because of that, it's so hard. People view us as, you know, when I was diagnosed, someone said to me, well, at least it's not cancer. And I thought, what? Who says that? Or someone else said, Rachel, you know, you're one of the strongest people we know. If anyone can handle this disease, it's you. And I thought, I kind of get that that's supposed to be a compliment, but it's like we are sometimes not allowed to be weak when we have an autoimmune disease because it's, it is very much sink or swim. If I don't take my insulin, I'm going to die. So it's not like, you know, there's no sort of like a cheating on the diet kind of thing. There's no cheating. It's very much like you have to be on it 24, seven, 365. There is no break from it. Mm. So what exhaust. would you say? You just mentioned a couple of things that people said to you that kind of were like, eh, and you're trying to encourage me, but thanks again. What are something that does encourage someone who just finds out they have a diagnosis like this? I think one still being treated like a person, not being, you know, I have a friend with a really good friend with MS and she said the worst thing people do is they lean into you and whisper, how are you? Uh, like you're, yeah. you know, you're on death's door all the time or they treat you like you're fragile. And it's like, you need to remember that they are first and foremost, a person, not the disease. And it's okay to say, check in with them. Like, Hey girl, you know, how are you doing with, you know, whatever, is there anything I can do to help you? But I think the most encouraging thing is just to bring them or do something for them that you know, you would do otherwise, regardless of the disease, like take them a cup of coffee or, you know, give them a blank journal or say, Hey, do you want to meet up and, um, go for a drink or, you know, whatever it is, you need to still treat that person like an individual. Um, because diseases scare people, you know, we don't really know what to do with them, especially needle diseases. People, you know, I could never stick myself with a needle. Oh my gosh. I could never, you know, see my own blood, whatever. I'm like, you could if it meant you would die. Exactly. If you didn't do that, yeah. right? But it's like, you know, you just need to remember that that person is still that friend or that cousin or, mm. you know. Yeah. But, yeah. yeah. It, it just makes me think we're going to, I mean, I'm going to talk to you about adoption lingo as well in a minute. And it's, I've, I think I've come so far in my view of people using like, let's say like quote unquote wrong lingo is that two things have happened. Number one, I've become more um, secure in where I am and my family and stuff. And I've become more gracious towards people. And I've also a third thing. I've become more like intuitive to figure out, is this person just, they don't know, or are they being ridiculously mean? You know what I mean? So a couple things, and I'm sure that you've walked through that, even with your diagnosis of feeling like, are they being insensitive? Are they just naive or, you know, whatever. Um, and then having grace for them. It's so hard, isn't it? It's just so hard because, but I'm so glad that you get to educate, you know? Right. I think that I always try to respond, like you said, with grace and a lot of people think that there's one type of diabetes and they associate, you know, so they don't understand the difference. So I do try to say, you know, well, I have a different type than probably what you're thinking of or, you know, things like that. So I educate, but also within limits, just because I don't want to go around talking about diabetes all the time while my kids are throwing around the box of tampons at Target, which has definitely probably happened. You know, I mean, it's like, so you have to strike this balance, but 
I do lean toward educating people. Um, and I found that by doing so, it does open doors. I made yeah. friends because I've decided to share a little piece of my story. Oh, so sure. you guys in January of 2024, I made a commitment to myself. I wanted to get stronger, which meant I needed to get in the gym, which means I needed to move my body in different ways. You guys know I love to walk. Well, it's spring and spring is the best time for us to start a new workout routine. It's our yearly collective warm-up, and Peloton is here for everyone's yearly warm-up. This is the best time to get into a good rhythm, to tap into your power and build towards your summer you. I love my Peloton. It accommodates to my schedule with a variety of class links to choose from. I can choose a 30-minute class. I can choose a 45-minute class. If you only have five minutes, there's literally a class to get you moving your body in five minutes. Peloton has a range of class types fit for every goal and every mood. There are classes if you want to hear country music, if you want to hear uh, rock, if you want to go back to the 80s. If you can't run, take a walking class. Need some grounding? Try yoga. If you want to level up, go for their Pilates or HIIT workouts. Here's what I love is that you can move at your own pace. And that is what I'm learning that my body needs right now. It needs to move at its own pace. Peloton makes the process easier with personalized recommendations and guided programs that take all the guesswork out of working out. You guys, we think about so many things during the day. Let's take the guesswork out. Let's jump right in and let's keep our fitness journey fresh every single day. Peloton has everything you need to get you where you're going. Whether you prefer to run outdoors, row or ride at home, or strength train at the gym, Peloton has something for you. I personally love a good 45-minute hip-hop class. It gets me moving. It gets me excited. It's my favorite genre of music, just ask my kids. Get a head start on summer with Peloton at OnePeloton.com. That's OnePeloton.com. For sure. Okay, so in the hospital room, the nurse is talking to you, and she gets your attention by talking about children. You thought adoption, and it never left you, and it took your husband about a year to get on the boat. And then where did y'all do? What happened next? I mean, I know that you're, um, you have domestic adoptions, but for someone who's listening that doesn't quite understand that journey, what were some of the first steps that you and your husband did? Absolutely. So we decided we were going to adopt from Guatemala. <laughs> that was our first step. I had a cousin um, who was adopted from Guatemala. So we went to a meeting at an agency, and they said, Guatemala's closing. You know, yeah. that's, it's not going to be an option. And, and what was- year was this? Sorry, let me know that. Um, I believe it was, let's see, 2006, I okay. think, 2006, 2007. Um, and so we said, okay, well, we'll do foster care adoption. And we started to pursue that route. And then we came into contact with a few people who said, you know, here's what you really need to know about it. And I was like, oh, I guess I was pretty naive, you know, not understanding it. So domestic infant adoption, um, which is adopting a newborn, of course, from the United States was sort of our last choice, mm-hmm. you know, and oddly enough, that is the route that we, that we ended up taking. So it just was sort of a process by elimination, I think, and yeah. really through and saying, you know, what do we want to do? And, um, that's just kind of where we ended up. I think that's so funny because a lot of times people think that you just have this like aha moment of like, we've, mm-hmm. we've always known we were going to adopt from China. And I'm sure that does happen for sure. But our story is kind of the same as yours. We were surrounded by people at our church adopting from China. This was 2004. And so we just kind of assumed we would adopt internationally because honestly, I'd never seen anything different. I did not know anyone that had adopted domestically or through foster care, which is 
drastically different in my life now. I know way more children adopted through the foster care system with our group of friends now. But anyhow, at the time, we just walked into an adoption agency. Like, this is naive. <laughs> oh, my gosh. We were babies. And we were like, we don't know what we're doing, but we really think that we're supposed to add to our family through adoption. And then it just kind of led us down those roads as well. And we ended up domestic infant as well. So that's right. kinda, it's funny how you just kind of start walking <laughs> down the path, and it sometimes changes, and you don't even realize it. Right. Absolutely. You know, what's hard too, as you were talking, I was just thinking about, I remember with our first day, we just walked in and said, Oh, you got Christian in your title. We're going to adopt through you. Like we had, we had no idea what we were doing. I mean, none, but I do remember they asked me for a medical letter from my doctor stating the condition of my health. And I was terrified. Mm. Like, are they going to reject me? I'm never going to become a mom. Like it was just another time my disease was kind of thrown in my face again. And yeah. I realized I had to ask for it and why they did. But it was just another one of those moments where I was like, okay, like, are we ever going to become, a, you know, parents? And yeah. it's just, you know, those fears, though, are I found are so normal among families. You, you know, they go to adopt and we have all these fears about rejection or, you know, what's going to happen and what's not. And I've just learned... God has really used this to teach me that I have zero control over anything. Oh, my anything. gosh. Hello. That's like he takes – I think maybe I have a big, big control aisle. I'm not going to speak for you. But I think that adoption um, has really, really kind of ruffled my feathers a lot with that for right. sure because zero control. I mean you have none. Right. It's Absolutely. crazy. It's crazy. Um, I remember thinking – I don't know if you had any thoughts like this. We were making um, – again, I haven't adopted domestically since 2005, so – anything information I say could be different now, but we would make these, um, profile books mm -hmm. and, you know, it lists out, I'm sure that you do this as well, your family and everything. And I remember when I was making it, Rachel, all I could think about was like, what if I picked the wrong picture? Like, what if a birth mom <laughs> looks at this and she thinks I look ugly in this picture? Or what if our house isn't, or what if I don't get this turned in in time? We're going to miss. I mean, it was just this, such a oh, big yeah. cycle of control. And Aaron one day looked at me and he's like, Jamie, it's impossible for us to miss our child because like God has that child already. No matter what we do, we cannot miss it. And I was like, okay, I'm going to breathe deep and it's going to be okay. Oh, yeah, so, yeah, I was pretty neurotic. I mean, it was bad. <laughs> My husband's like, you need to calm down. And uh, it was just hard. I mean, but when you're, it's such an emotional process and your bank, I mean, your life is waiting on what's going to happen. I, know, I mean, it's crazy. they tell you, go on vacation. Don't worry about it. You'll get your call when you, no, no, <laughs> right. no, I was upset. I was just back when we had an answering machine that tells you how exactly. long ago we like waited it up but I'm like checking it every time I came home from work I'd be like do we have any messages like I just I can't oh. possibly miss the most important phone call of imagine my if we would have had our phones now that have our email on them I mean I would have been check refreshing every five minutes um right. back in the days so you I know you have three children am I right yes were these three separate adoptions Yes, three okay. separate adoptions but all using the same agency awesome and I'm going to ask you a couple questions. I am completely okay if you say I don't want to talk about that because I do sure. that too. Like everyone's story is their own story. I don't want to ask stories, but I do have a question. Do you, are any of your kids biologically related? No. Okay. Mm. We I get asked that a lot about my two kids from Haiti. They're not biologically related, but well, right. this is we always just say yes. They're we well you no, because the question it differently, but <laughs> exactly because the question I worded it differently because I'm an adoptive mom. The question right, right. usually comes: Are any of them brother and sister? And I always right. say yes, they are. Right. But yeah, they're not absolutely. biologically related. 
I go, can you not tell by the way they're wrestling each other in the mud? Like, as I'm trying to have this conversation with you, like, yes, yes. <laughs> obviously. Yeah. I always just say, well, of course they're real. So, you yeah. know, we get the real question a lot, but yeah. I always say, of course they're real siblings. Yeah. Them, yeah. Um, okay. So you have three kids through adoption and I was looking through one of your books this morning. Um, it's called come rain or come shine a white parents guide to adopting and parenting black children. Can I ask like, what, what made you think I want to write this book? I had always been writing books. I mean, I have my first book that I wrote when I was four and it was called the princess and the gold. And it was like, I just always knew I was going to write. So I just, after my diagnosis, I tried like six times to write a book about my diagnosis and everything that happened. And it wasn't working. Do you know, have you ever done that? Like, you're going to like, I'm going to make this project work. It's going to work. It's going to work. And it just doesn't, Yeah. you know, it's not your window to go through. And so, um, after we adopted, you know, I was trying to find books on transracial adoption and there were so few and the few that were there were textbooks. I'm like, I got out of grad school. I'm done with textbooks. (laughs) I'm done. I'm done with the bolded vocabulary words. I'm done with the index. I'm done. You know, I'm over it. And I Mm -hmm. thought if I, as an English major and, you know, as a writing teacher can't get through these books, how are everyday individuals who hate English class, you know, how are they going to read these books? Yeah. They're not. And so there needed to be something conversational and something um, interesting that had a lot of resources. So if people wanted to go learn about a different topic. So I just decided, you know what, why not me? Why not write this book? Yeah. And it was one of the best decisions I ever made. Definitely. So you just decided because you couldn't find any. Here it is. Um, and, and I have to say, I'm so thankful that you wrote this because this is something um, – This is a book, this is what I was thinking about this. This is a book that a parent could read. This is a book that a grandparent could read. This is a book that a teacher could read. You know, I think it really spans a big spectrum of who this book would appeal to. Um, Did you go out looking to do that or was it something that just kind of happened? I think because I was an educator, I knew that the book needed to speak to different individuals, right? Like it needed to be for um, a wide audience, or I even thought for a social worker, I even noticed when we were adopting a lot of social workers hadn't read like a fourth of the books I had read on adoption. And so I was like, it needs to be for them too, because they're very busy, overworked, underpaid individuals. They need something that they can hand to people that says, you know, you know, take this book and read this, you know? So I really did write it for as many different people as possible. Okay. I love it. Okay. I want to talk to you about a couple things in here. You ready? I'm just going to throw things at you and we can talk about it. Open adoption. So we have three of them. And three of them. Uh, I want you to speak to like, tell me why, tell me how that we, we also have an open adoption as well, just so you know where I'm coming from. Uh, but tell me, why'd you choose that? Why'd you want that? How does that work for your family? What are some of the fears you had? What, tell me about that. So we were not open to an open adoption when we entered into adoption, but this is another way that whatever your plans are, get thrown out the window. So we were like, you know, a semi open, I had just written about this for a website, you know, a semi open where, you know, you have some contact through the agency, but no visits, things like that. And I thought this is safe. I'll be the real mom. I won't have to worry about, you know, all my weird insecurities. (laughs) And, you know, so we were like, let's go semi open. The day we went to court to get custody of our oldest um, child, her birth mother had gone into court immediately before us, and we had to meet. We're sitting in the same, like, section of seats. There's no, like, right. I mean, I guess we could awkward, awkwardly, like, stare forward and not talk to each other. But the minute we met, the walls fell. Mm. Like, I just knew that openness was okay. Yeah. And so ever since then, we've had open adoptions. I mean, we had a lot of fears, but when you actually meet a person face 
to face is much different than, you know, what you're checking on your paperwork. So I agree. Yeah. That's really I don't think it's for everyone. And I don't think that every child wants it necessarily. So as our child, you know, children get older, they kind of voice, do they want openness? How much do they want? And we're just really going with what each of our children, what they want and need. I think that's great to talk about as well. I remember, um, we have an open adoption with my son Deacon's, um, first mom. And we, she, we would see her often. Like she would come to one of Aaron's shows or we would, she'd be coming through Austin and we go to dinner or, you know, whatever. We just, there were like, a handful of times each year that we were all together, like eating a meal or whatever. And we always called her by her name and that's who it is. And there's a picture of her in Deacon's room, all that kind of stuff. But I remember when Deacon was about four years old and we've had an open adoption since the beginning. When he was about four years old, she came for a visit. We said hi, whatever. And it was never really like, oh, let's give Deacon some space. It was just like we were all visiting with her. You know, it wasn't, it wasn't kind of this, it wasn't weird at all. It was completely normal. But I remember when he was about four, she left and he went, wait, is that the same woman that is my birth mom? <laughs> and it's just funny because we had, of course, told him that a million times, but he was three and two and four and it had never clicked. And then I saw it click all of a sudden and I thought, I really like that. I like that we just were always talking about this and then one day it clicked and there it was, you know? So that's, that was kind of how our journey has gone with that. But us too, like you, Aaron didn't, my husband did not want an open adoption. Mm-hmm. Um, because of the same fears that most a lot of people have. Well, she's going to come steal our kid or, you know, whatever. Um, and I read a book. It was called Dear Birth Mom. Have you read mm-hmm. that? Yes. Yes. And it really, it was like the first time I ever, ever even thought about open adoption. And I remember after I read it, I thought, I don't know how I can, oh, I, what it did for me is it made me think if I were in her shoes, I just want to know that my kid is okay. You know, all of those feelings I started feeling, and that's kind of what transformed us into wanting it. Well, and then you realize too, like you said, it's our kid. It is still her kid and it's still our kid. And there's no, you know, there's no need to have a hierarchy or whatever. We make things more complicated probably than they need to be. You know what I mean? Like it's, it's, it is what it is. She, you know, they have a first mom and they have us and you know, there's no war or competition or fear. I mean, it, Open adoption is definitely far more complicated, um, and there are really hard seasons. However, I would say overall, it has been worth it. And for us to be able to look our kids in the eye and say, you know, and say we did everything we could and everything we can to keep that door open for your benefit, mm-hmm. and that's all we can do. And what happens happens. Yeah, I think about that sometimes with our children that we adopted from Haiti. We, mm-hmm. um, you know, we just don't have that luxury of living in the same state as them or, you know, lots of even texting or whatever, those just, that just doesn't exist for us. Um, but we do, we ought, would be able to contact both of their moms and, um, and we plan to take them back one day to meet. So that's exciting. Oh, I was going to tell you this. I remember when my son Deacon, who we adopted domestically, when people would ask me, um, do you, some, they would say something about like, do you know anything about his, um, his, uh, real mom? Mm-hmm. And when I'm telling you, when we were newly parents through adoption, I would get so mad. Like literally, I would <laughs> right. get so furious. But on the inside, I wasn't one to like be furious to them. And Aaron would always be like, "Well, you should say something if you're that mad." And I'm like, "I'm just so mad. Like I'm his mom." Um, and then, like I said earlier, just like walls started coming down, and I started to realize that there is no us without her. You know, right. and so. Yes. Um, I think that's something that I really wish that more people would understand as well. It's like the value of that person for my family and for my kid's life. 
Yeah, absolutely. And I think like there is the walls do come down and I get that. Like I was once the person using the incorrect terminology. Like if you had come to me probably, you know, 10 or 12 years ago and we would have a conversation, I would have said the wrong things, yes, you know, me but too. Oh, so I try to, we always try to just be really, you know, we educate individuals without giving them, you know, giving away our kids stories, you know, to a level that's not appropriate. So we're always, you know, just saying, well, open adoption works great for us and here's why. And usually people are willing to listen and learn. So I feel like I'm just always very aware as my kids get older to do what works for them because they don't always want to stop and have a conversation about, you know, adoption with someone when we're in the middle of, you know, Barnes & Noble or, you know, whatever it is. So, but it it is kind of tough because I'm basically an adoption educator for a living. So (laughs) it's very interesting to like strike a balance, you know, but it's, People generally do mean well. And I, yeah, the real thing doesn't, except for the real siblings, I always try to say, well, of course they are, you know, because mm-hmm. one day my, one of my kids did ask me, you know, are we real siblings? And I thought, oh, and now it's getting to them, you know, exactly. The things yeah. I said, well, of course you are, but your birth siblings are your real siblings too. You yeah. know, it's all real. Yeah. None of it's fake. <laughs> yeah. That's what I, I, I'm the same way as you is I'm like, I, it bothers me when my kids hear these things because they're, they have more. They haven't had as much time in life to like decipher through these words, you know, Um, and what they hear is just reality to them. So I don't want that to be their reality of what they hear uh, by any means. Um, How do you because I because I find it really interesting that you do make a living talking about adoption, but you also are you do a very great job of being guarded about your kids stories. How do you do that? And why do you do that? It I will tell you. It has not been easy. Um, I've mulled over it a lot. Like, well, I know I would reach more people if I shared more of my kids' stories, and I know that because I've seen it with other individuals. Um, But for me, and because of our open adoptions and just because of our individual situations, I feel like, you know, I don't want to use my children, I guess, as like – or spotlight them or use them in any sort of way or their stories for some sort of personal gain. Mm -hmm. So I feel like the boundaries that we've created, which is, you know, we're willing to talk about adoption. And of course we have, I run a large adoption support group and, you know, we have all these friends by adoption and they see and know my kids and things like that. But I just feel like they should have control over their stories. And I'm scared, you know, once you put something out there, you can't ever take it back, especially now, you know how it is, you know, everything being online. And I don't, you know, I write about, transracial adoption and it's highly controversial still and I don't trust strangers with my kids stories Mm. and so I just you know if you're my girlfriend we can talk about things but if if you're not you know I just I don't feel like I should really put it out there when they're old enough to decide then I feel like they're more than welcome to share what they want to but I just you know and especially when they're struggling I mean I'm sure you know this as a mom by adoption like your kids go through some hard times Mm -hmm. they'll go through times where they don't understand why they were placed for adoption or why they can't see birth mom or why you know and those are things we try to deal with privately because I feel like oh I'd be mortified if my mom had ever if there was internet back then and posted some of the things I said and did or you know I just I don't want to humiliate them in any way. And I want to respect their first families who chose us, you know, in these open adoptions. So, yeah. And I, man, this is such a struggle of mine because as you're talking, I've, I walk through the tension of this as well a lot. Whereas when my kids were younger and especially when my, when my son first came from Haiti, I blogged a lot about the trials and um, the hardships of parenting and all this other kind of stuff. And as my kids have gotten older, uh, my kids are 12, 10, 10, and 8. As they've gotten older, I'd say in the past like three years, I just don't feel comfortable blogging about a lot of stuff that we're going through. 
because my kids are older and because it will never go away. Like it's on the internet forever. But then I also feel this tension and, and I'm sure that you do as well, this tension of like, but I feel as though sometimes I'm presenting a reality that is not true. Mm-hmm. If that makes sense, by by not talking about some of the things, but I just can't because it's my kids, you know. So I don't feel like it's I don't want to be the person to talk about that. But I also feel like we have this like group of you know hundreds and thousands of adoptive parents coming up that aren't hearing some of the struggles because it's hard to tell them, you know. Right. But I I I know the solution, and the solution is one on one conversations. Would you agree with that? Absolutely. I mean, I think that's why, yeah, I think, yeah, no, I think that when you have those individual relationships with people who are in your life and kind of get where you are, it's one thing, but it's, you know, I've written enough, I've written hundreds of articles and, you know, there's internet trolls and crazies out there who will respond with all sorts of things. And I just think of those individuals and I write something and I think, do I trust these people with my kids' stories? And the answer is no. I mean, but we wouldn't trust a stranger with a lot of information. We're not going to go up to a stranger and say, hey, you want my social security number and how much I weigh? Right. Like, we just don't give away certain things. So I just, I, I, yeah, I know what you're saying. I don't want to present that everything is rosy perfect. But I also think that individuals who, you know, grow where you're planted kind of deal, people who are close to us can come to us and say, hey, let's talk about some struggles. And I will tell them. Yeah. You know? Yeah. I think it's good. It, I think it's important. This is what I wish somebody would have told me. We walked into adoption very, very naive um, as far as like our international adoptions and bringing home an older child, which my son was four and a half. So not really older child per se, but older than my infant that I brought home, you know, right. four years earlier. Um, but I went into it very naive. And, but I also take a lot of blame on that because, uh, we adopted, we didn't use an agency. It's so stupid. Don't anyone ever do that. I mean, it was like, it wasn't the worst decision ever because it brought us our kids. So I don't regret it one bit, but all that to say, I don't think I really reached out and surrounded myself with people that had walked down this road, but also Rachel and my group of friends, we were one of the first ones to adopt. I mean, yes. We, I didn't know anyone else that had adopted. When I moved to Austin, I didn't know anyone else that had adopted or was in the process. And so that was hard. But I think that something that Aaron and I have done well has been pretty transparent with our people, not online, but our people and our real people that we can touch and hold their hands and cry with. We've been pretty transparent and vulnerable with um, the struggles that might come along through parenting, um, through adoption. And I know that you do that as well. Absolutely. Well, and I think too, a lot of people think, you know, you get an infant and they're like, you know, there's the idea that they're a blank slate and you can just kind of parent them, but it's It's not true. It's really not true. It's It's not not true true at all. You know, it's yeah. There's some hard times that we've definitely had. Um, but I think, I think you're exactly right that you, you really, you're with the people that you're supposed to be with in your life and you're, you know, the right people come into your life. And those are the individuals you can open up and share with. But it's it's really hard to strike a balance, especially because I write for a living. So this <laughs> yeah, is what I do. that's why it's I hard. Share. But I don't want my kids to ever learn. This is one thing I've really thought about. I don't want them to ever learn a piece of their story for the first time when they find mom's book laying right? around the house. Yes. Or you know they hear a podcast or whatever uh-huh. it is. Like I want them to hear it from me first, not mm-hmm. from someone else. Yeah. So yeah. that's good. I really value the way you're doing that because it's been this road I've been trying to find as well. And what it's done, which is the opposite, is it's it's pulled me back from writing a little bit um, because mm-hmm. I just feel like, well, wow, I don't know what to say, which is bad. If I don't have anything else to say, <laughs> then I think we have a problem uh, that's bigger than that. But it's I just had to think about it as well. And social media in general. I mean, I was looking at your Instagram. And I didn't see one picture of your kid's face. 
Do you no. put your kids' pictures up? No, I don't. I've been very, very guarded about that. I noticed for- that as well. I was going to say, as my kids get older, um, I ask them before I post anything about them and have to have their approval, which is why you only see pictures of mainly two of my kids because <laughs> they're the two that say yes. Everyone's like, do you not like your other kids? You never put pictures of them. I'm like, well, no, they say no. And so <laughs> they don't get their picture up. Um, it's kind of funny. Um, but man, thanks for sharing your story. And I, I love talking about adoption and I'm so proud and happy and just everything about that you wrote this book. So Come Rain or Come Shine is a great book if anyone's interested in that. And I'll put a link up for it. Hey guys, before we get back to the show, I want to tell you about another sponsor for today's show, and that is Lily Jade. You may have heard me talk about them on the Christmas special, and I fell in love with them then, and I got a bag of theirs, and I literally love it so very much. Lily Jade bags are just an incredible value for what you get. Normally, a full grain leather premium tote would retail for hundreds more, but thanks to their unique e-commerce model, uh, Lily Jade's able to get their gorgeous pieces into even more women's hands. Their most popular styles can be worn three ways, over the shoulder, crossbody, or as backpacks. And guys, I want to let you know, these are like diaper bags. This is what they sell them as, but I'm way past the diaper stage, and this is such a fabulous bag for me. It's my computer bag. I love it so much. It zips. It has so many organizational places. It's beautiful. Each bag comes with a removable, washable 16-pocket organizer to protect your investment and organize your gear. Lily Jade's not just a great bag company, but their heart is to give back, supporting all women and especially mamas. Every month, for example, they give away a bag to a deserving adoptive mom, and they run monthly campaigns on Instagram to celebrate the everyday stories of amazing women. Be sure and follow them on Instagram. It's at lilyjadeco, lilyjadeco, and join in to share your story. These Lily Jade bags would be the perfect Mother's Day gift. So if you're interested in checking out their stuff, find them on the internet. It's Lily, and it's just one L, L-I-L-Y dash Jade, J-A-D-E dot com. Check them out. Okay, guys, back to our conversation with Rachel. Okay, but I always ask my guests three things you're loving and what you're reading, so I'm ready. Okay, so I'm reading The Hands-Free Life oh, yes, by I've Rachel Macy Stafford, and I just met her three weeks ago. I was, like, so excited. Rachel, I was like, Rachel, it's another Rachel. Let's talk. And she was fantastic. Fantastic. Oh, that's um, so wonderful. She, I'm reading, um, wife after God by Jennifer Smith. Um, and that's just like a 30 day devotional. Her husband wrote one too. So I bought it for my husband and they're great. Cause they're short. I don't know who has time to light a candle and have Kleenex and Bible study for three hours <laughs> Wait, every what's morning. It? Say it one more time. What's it called? <sighs> wife after God. Okay. Yeah. Hey, it's like about God and being a wife and I just, and I love it. And the girl's real. She's not like, you know, I mean, she just keeps it real and that's what I need in my life. I need and love. I know I need real as well. So hands-free mama, can you give me a synopsis of that? Because I've heard about it at several places. Yeah. So she, she's written two books, hands-free life. And then I think hands-free mama is her other one. Um, And I'm reading hands-free life right now, but Basically, she's just talking. She's me. I mean, the she's me. It's the type A personality. It's being driven. It's trying to do so many things and not being able to do it all, which we all know we can't. Um, so she just really gives practical strategies on how to minimize things and prioritize. And so it's been her book has been a tremendous blessing in my life. Okay, um, that's awesome. Yeah. She's fantastic. Um, and then the other book I'm reading is called The Honest Toddler, and it's written from the point of view of a toddler. And it's basically like how ridiculous we are when we're parenting toddlers. Is that so, from, as adults. Is that from the Twitter feed? 
Yeah. Uh, yeah. You've probably seen her. She's been, she posts things and they go like viral constantly. This author, her name's, I don't know how to pronounce her first name, but it's B U N M I it's bun me. She's a Canadian woman. Um, and she just, I mean, she's hysterical. She's just, you read it and you're like, this is exactly it. We parents really have no clue what we're doing ever. Like she's right. So <laughs> this is hilarious. I think if it's the Twitter feed, that's the same. It, it just cracks me up. I just, I laugh so much every time I see it. Oh yeah. Cause we just know, then we realize as parents, we really, you know, the kids got it going on. So they just, yeah, she's hilarious. So I try to balance a little bit of humor within the seriousness and then, you know, having a devotional. And, oh yes. Yes. So, so funny. Yeah. Like here's some, I'm looking at the honest toddler Twitter feed and it says this, if you're wondering, yes, we do know just when to wake up. It's called sibling prevention. <laughs> <laughs> She's writing a new children's book that has a title we can't probably say on the podcast, but it's oh, going to be. I'm looking gonna, at it. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Oh, yeah, yeah. We can't say that on this show, but no. uh, it looks funny. But she's so, the girl just keeps it real, which is what we need, isn't oh it? In a day gosh. where everything's so Pinteresty and Instagrammy and perfect with the filters, like she's, she's not messing around. I love oh, her. No, I love it. I love it. Um, let me, I'm going to find one more, more to read because it's so funny. <laughs> Here's one. Adults, enjoy Valentine's Day, but please remember your financial situation and that you can't afford another child. I beg you. <laughs> <laughs> oh, she's so, she always writes from the point of view, basically, of her toddler, you know. So she's like, here's what your toddler's thinking. I need unbroken crackers. Do not dare bring me a cracker that's broken. Oh and my I need gosh. red fruit juice. That is what I need. And if you, you know, if you mess it up, you need to call grandma and she'll set you straight. I mean, this girl is just, she's hilarious. Oh, this, this one says this. Walked in on mommy and daddy wrestling. I knew they played after I went to bed. <laughs> Sleeping <laughs> in the big bed tonight. <laughs> oh, my oh my gosh. It's so funny. Yes, I crack up at this Twitter feed all the time. Um, yeah. <laughs> so funny. Okay, so I need to get my hands on that book for sure. I'm trying to get through the book Room. Have you heard of this book? I have heard of it, but well, there I'm was not a movie. Ready. Yes. Maybe yes, you've heard yes. of the movie, but the book is called Room and it's, I'm, I really am like 65 pages in and I can't get through it. It's one of those and I'm wondering how far am I going to go before I put it down, but I keep hearing people love it. And so that makes me, I'm the kind of person I'm like, well, if people love it. I don't want to miss out on the party. So I'm going to keep going. Um, do you, if you hate a book, how far do you go? I usually don't get past the first like three pages. I'm very, very picky because I've just read like so many books that if it's terrible, I'm like, no, I can't. I can't oh, do this. Man. I know. I feel so – here's me with books. I feel so obligated to the author that I owe it to them because I, <laughs> I know they put so much time into it that I feel this weird obligation to finish. And I know it's weird. I don't know this woman personally, but I feel like if I ever met her, I would want to tell her, you did a great job. I know you put a lot of time into that and I finished it. You know, like it's weird. I know. I just, just have to be so choosy now. I mean, I don't even get through one sentence on like a Twitter feed and the kids like come wipe my butt or, you know, whatever, <laughs> I know. whatever somebody, you know, or that is true. I'm like, why am I taking so long? I know, but I'm, I'm just addicted to books. Like I, I, I guess it's not a bad addiction to have, but it's like, I'm, I know what you mean. It's just so, and I do feel obligated to author it's like when you were a kid and you thought your stuffed animals came alive and you had to like take care of them because yes. you know you don't you know it's the same deal like yes. the authors you know they're a real person out there and you know you're a writer you know that's why I think I feel it too as a writer I feel like I'm like I need to tell them that I'm so proud of them for what they did yes. like yes. like I owe it to them to acknowledge their work yes uh, I when I read the most is um on the, in the obvious times vacation with no children mm -hmm. um or on an airplane 
Uh, like I traveled last week. I read two books. It was crazy because I flew all the way to Portland. And good Lord, I did not realize how far Portland was from Austin. I mean, I felt like I was on an international flight. I'm like, <laughs> it took me forever to get there. But I read two books. I read one on the way there and one on the way back. And so I like reading on airplanes. Yeah, really I just – we're getting ready to go on a trip, but I won't be doing much reading probably. But I know what you mean when you get to go by yourself. And, I mean, I'll stay up yes. ridiculously too late at night alternating between reading a book and writing my next book. I mean, it's just – it's and then I'm like, why do I need coffee so much? I don't understand. Do you do, do you like to read particular things when you're writing something particular? I mean, right now I'm I'm working on a new book that's going to be very humorous. So reading The Honest Toddler is very inspirational. Mm -hmm. for me because it gets me in the mood, right? Yeah. To write like a funnier book. Adoption is so deep and heavy and it's a heart topic. Yeah. And so it's so exhausting sometimes that I read almost every adoption book that comes out and sometimes my friend is like, you got to stop. Like yeah. it's just, but it's, you know, I just devour books. Like I want to devour cookies, but I can't because I'm diabetic, right? Like I just <laughs> right. need to devour and, and I read, I don't know about you. I don't have an e-reader. It's ridiculous. I mean, I was in English. Yeah, I don't have an e-reader. I read the paper book from the library that smells like library. And I like I paper books it. too. Mm -hmm. I went through yeah. a stage a couple of years ago where I was reading on a Kindle. And for some reason it worked then. But now I really do like holding a book in my hands. Although traveling, doing that, and bringing four books with you is stupid. I uh, so I know why people use them when they travel. But anyhow, what's your next book about that you're writing? So it's going to be an adoption book as I just, you know, as if I haven't written enough about it, but right. it's going to be humorous and it's going to be one of these, you know, like a girlfriend type book. So gotcha. it'll be like you and I having a conversation, except it'll be in a book. So I'm like one third done, but you know, it's very hard to write a book with children. Yes. Um, <laughs> I hear you. So, and sometimes I should just go to bed instead of staying up and writing writing, but I'm just, I'm always excited about it. And when I get an idea, I really can't let it go. Like yeah. I, I feel like if I don't do this, who's going to do it or somebody might do it, but I, I'm the one who should do it. So I just, I'm just go with it. Through. Yeah. So I'm hoping to complete that project probably by the end of the summer. We'll see though. Good for you. I am in the midst of about to start writing a proposal for my first book. And so it's like, it's like haunt. It's like hanging over my head and mm -hmm. every week it's like I have to schedule writing time and stuff comes up and all my kids are in school. So, I mean, you would think that this would be just easy peasy, but it's not. No, it's not. It's, no. and it's also, it takes so much vulnerability because your book will be available forever mm -hmm. and people will <laughs> know what you put in it forever or, you know, so it's, it is a very, very scary, you know, people come up to me all the time. Oh, you're a writer. I've always wanted to write a book. And I'm like, I don't know though. Have yeah, you always right. really wanted to write a book? Yeah. <laughs> oh, okay. So what are three things you're loving? Oh my gosh. Today I went to Starbucks. Okay. And they have cookie dough cake pops and I, I shouldn't, you know, right. but I was like, there's probably only 10 grams of carbs in that cake pop. So I should probably, because I have a podcast today. So why shouldn't I have exactly. a cake pop? Exactly. There you go. I can oh, always so find a reason why I should have something. Okay, so cookie dough cake pop. Oh, yes. I mean, yes, absolutely. I it a, was – yeah, go ahead. I, I was going to say, I have a friend who makes cake pot – cake pots. I just said cake pots. Wouldn't That would be a different kind of <laughs> – that would, that would be like something else to sell. Um, she makes cake pops, and uh. every time I see her um, cake pops that she puts up on Instagram, her name is Jamie Golden – and it's Jamie's Rabbits is her Instagram feed. But they're amazingly beautiful. It's like a work of art. So I don't know that that's what you got at Starbucks. But cake pops can be really beautiful. 
Oh, now you know I'm going to follow your friend on Instagram. I'm I know, like, and then you're just going to drool over all of these cake pops. Diabetic lust right now all over those cake I know. pops. Yeah, I, I, I told my husband, I said, when I die and I get to heaven, I'm going to make God just give me 500 funnel cakes. And I'm just going to eat until I'm like to the, yeah, all you're the gonna, things I shouldn't have or can't have now. It's just going to be amazing. They're not going to so. affect. You're going to have it. You're going to have it all. Okay, so the <laughs> cookie dough cake pop, what else? Um, I'm just loving, like that. Maybe this is such a minor thing, but it's been 70 and sunny this past weekend. Of course it's going to snow four inches tomorrow, but 70 and sunny this weekend. (laughs) And I'm in my driveway in my pajamas with a lawn chair sunning myself. Yes, I am. It's, it's so not classy and I love it. It's just, it's, it just felt so good to be in the sunshine. You know, we get cabin fever really bad here in the St. Louis area (laughs) from winter. Um, And then the third thing, I discovered St. Louis has a 90s hip-hop station. I mean, come on. This is like my teenage right? Yes. Oh, I have it on. The kids are like, Mom, what is this? I'm like, shh, (laughs) Mommy's rapping right now. I'm busy. Like, you know, it's all fun and games. I've done that too. I've pulled up some 90s hip hop rap, which is really fun when adults sing it. But when your daughter starts singing like Baby Got Back, it's just not mm-hmm. funny anymore because I was yeah. like, what if she does this at school? Oh, dear Lord. It's funny at the house. It's not funny in second grade. <laughs> oh, I'm a big fan of 90s hip hop. Let oh. me tell you. I mean, it's like, it's just, it go. I told my husband the other day, I go, I should have a 35th birthday party and we're going to have a nineties hip hop theme. And he goes, I don't know if anybody's had a 35th birthday party. And I go, exactly. That's why I should do, do it because I should be the first one. Come on. Why, why wait until a, you know, a, a decade birthday? What's the point? No, no there's no point. You can have a birthday it. whenever you want <laughs> Yeah, and have cake pops there too. Dang yes, it. <laughs> I was just thinking that. Yes. <laughs> oh, um, okay. Rachel, this has been so fun chatting. Yes. Thank you so much for having me. And I just love your podcast and everything you're doing. And you're just, you're just really, I think, reaching to so many women with all your different topics. And yeah, I just, yeah, you're amazing. Thank you for doing this. Well, thank you. My, I say this all the time. This podcast is by far my most favorite thing I've ever done. And so it, uh, one of my most favorite things about the podcast, and this is the honest truth, is just getting to have amazing conversations with amazing women doing amazing things and then letting everyone hear our conversation. And so thanks for joining me. It's a lot of fun. Oh, thank you for having me. Keep doing what you're doing. You're just really doing an awesome job. Thank you. Guys, wasn't that a great conversation with Rachel? I loved her perspective on how open and vulnerable she was about her health and her struggles within the adoption process. Um, She has lots of wisdom on that, and I really enjoyed it, and I encourage you to get our books if you're interested in any of that stuff. Remember, everything that we chatted about is going to be up on my website, jamieivy.com. Guys, I'd love to hear from you. My favorite social media platform is Instagram, so find me over there. It's at jamieivy, J-A-M-I-E-I-V-E-Y. I'm also on Facebook and Twitter. Tell me something you love from this show, or tell me something you love in life, or just tell me hi. I don't care. I just want to hear from you. It's so fun. Today's show was edited by Knox McCoy, and the music is from Jason Poe. Guys, enjoy the week. Share the show with a girlfriend, and have a happy hour with a friend. I'll see you guys next week.